Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Let's go. Man, some really awesome stuff happening around here. So fired up for this summer. So just encouraged by our kids team and our youth team. Right off the bat, I mean, there's been over 900 kids signed up for Camp X this summer, which is crazy. So if you've got kids, grab a spot. If you've got friends that you know, hey, my kids' friends would love to come, have them grab a spot. And then first day, over 50% of our spots for Youth X filled up as well. And so we've just got some awesome stuff happening. And man, just could not be more proud of everybody in our church who serves, volunteers, leads, um, the way for the next generation. So totally awesome stuff. And then also had a, had a really amazing marriage retreat. Shout out to Pastor Matt and his wife, Amy, for leading that, which was, which was awesome. And so really good stuff happening. Excited for this summer. Excited for the days ahead. And grateful to be with you guys today. Now, if, um, if you were with us last week, we, we started off service with a moment of prayer for some friends of ours on the team who have family in Ukraine and connections in Ukraine. And uh, man, if you've been watching the news at all, obviously it's been a really heartrending couple weeks as everything's unfolded over there with what's happening right now. And so we as a church, we're just praying and, and looking for ways to get involved and figure out how can we help, um, especially with relief organizations and Christians who are on the ground already. And we had a connection through Tony, who is um, on our worship team, plays keys every single week or most weeks. And his uncle is actually a pastor over there. And Matt and I had the chance to sit down with his uncle maybe four or five months ago. We had obviously no idea that this was going to happen. And uh, he pastors a church right there in Melitopol, Ukraine. And uh, Man, through Tony, we've been able to get in touch with him, see how they're doing. Obviously, Tony's family has family members over there along with other people on our team. But our, our prayer was, man, how do we support you? How do we jump in? What does it look like? And so um, you're going to see a video from Dimitri, who is Tony's uncle here in just a second. But we're going to partner with Dimitri and his church with what they're doing right now and also Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope is a, humani- a Christian-based humanitarian relief organization that is specifically right now working with refugees coming out of Ukraine who are fleeing Ukraine. And so what we're going to do is support the local church inside Ukraine and help those who are helping on the front lines with refugees who are fleeing Ukraine. So here's what we're going to do. Today, we are taking a compassion-first offering. That means above and beyond what we were going to collect today, we are going straight, and we're giving it straight out these doors to these ministries, to Word of Life Church, which you'll see a video from in just a second with what they're doing, and Convoy of Hope. And so my request to you, my ask for you today is that you would jump on and be a part of this and help us as a first step support not just the local church, but a ministry that is on the front lines working with refugees. So take a second as you think about that, pray about that. Check out this video from Dimitri, uh, Tony's uncle. Hello, my friends. Uh, my name is Dimitri Bodiu. I'm pastor in the church in Ukraine in a city called Militopol. Um, 
And right now, this city full of Russian troops. We have tanks standing all, all around the city, so you can get out or get in. So very complicated situation. But we're still here, we're surviving, we're alive, uh, everything okay, as far as you can say it's okay. But our routine is changed right now. We're ministering outside, we're trying to collect anything we can, groceries, vegetables, water, uh, medicine, and we're trying to distribute around the city, we're trying to bake bread, not trying, but we're doing, and um, helping uh, any way we can. And um, we have a bunch of people staying in the church and some people coming in, getting out, so they can have some fellowship and pray together, so they can cheer up each other. And, and um, uh, we cook hot meals all the time, so people can eat. And this is our routine now. I mean, we, we do have services in the morning and in the evening, but it's a different services right now because not everybody can come. And um, mobile connection is, is very, very slow. Uh, a couple of days ago, we didn't have the electricity, water, um, internet, mobile connections, almost uh, two, two days. And um, it was very complicated. You cannot communicate with anybody. But now it's, it's better. I mean, today is okay. There's no shootings around. Yesterday, there were some rockets flying to us, to our city. But we are holding on. So thank you so much for your prayer, for your support. Uh, it's a big help for us. And um, I hope everything will be finished soon. We believe in this, we're praying about this, and, and I believe that God can help us. There's um, even worse situations than and we have now in Kiev and Kharkov. I mean, there's some people that are going through some very, very hard time. So please pray for us. We need this. Bless you. Thank you. Amen. So we have, again, a unique opportunity to partner with Dimitri as their local church is just being salt and light over there right now, obviously opening the doors of their building as a bomb shelter for kids and families who don't have a safe place to live, feeding their community as much as they can, and they're just serving on the front lines. And so if you'd like to partner with us today, you can make a check out again to the general fund. You can put that into the boxes in the back. You can give online. And the first $15,000 that is collected for our tithes and offerings today goes directly out to Ukraine. So friends, let's be generous. Let's support this cause and let's show them, man, there are, that's right. There are Jesus followers in California who are with them and for them and uh, want to bless them just through provision in any way that we can. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's word today. Father, um, when we see things like this, our, our hearts are heavy, but also, Lord, I have great hope because you have a witness in Ukraine. You have those who love Jesus in Ukraine who are serving, who are helping. And Father, I pray that you would use Dimitri and the volunteers and the leaders in his church to shine as a city on a hill, that people would see them as those who love Jesus and want to do good for their city. 
Father, we ask for an end of this conflict in Ukraine. Father, we ask for peace in Jesus' name. We ask for protection in Jesus' name. And Father, right now we ask that the gospel would go forth, that people would hear about Christ, even in the darkest moments, that they would find hope in him. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, today we are diving into part two of a series on the Sermon on the Mount called The Good Life. And the series title is a bit of a play on words because as you read, if you open your Bible and read, the, probably the most famous sermon, hands down the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, you'll, you'll see this list right at the beginning called the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus begins to talk about the good life, the happy life, blessed. The word blessed in Greek means happy, to be happy, to experience goodness, right? And it's interesting because the things that Jesus lists as the good life, as the blessed life, would probably not make our top ten list, if we were being honest, of what we considered the good life to be. He said things like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, blessed are the humble, the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Even blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecuted. And, and Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 5 to talk about the public nature of the Christian faith. You see, our culture, our society would love to say, hey, keep your faith to yourself. Don't, don't bring your faith into your workplace or into the public sphere. Hey, this is a very private thing. Definitely don't bring it to the Thanksgiving table. Amen, somebody, right? There, there's this thing in our culture where we believe our faith is private, but Jesus says, actually, it's very public. He says it like this in, in Matthew 5, verse 13 and following. He talks about us being the, the salt of the world and the light of the world. He says this in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That's the point of light. Others can see it. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So Jesus is calling us to do things, good works, to serve others in such a way that people see what we're doing and give glory to God. Friends, that's why we do Love the 50 Week. That's why we do For the 50 initiatives. That's why we give generously to those in need. At one side, Jesus says, I want you to do this so the world can see, man, there's something different. There's something peculiar about those Christians. They have a tendency to love their enemies, to make peace in the midst of tense and conflict situations. They're peacemakers. They're, they're humble. They're not necessarily looking for accolades or the praise of man. They have meekness. They're generous. And so Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount is the call to living publicly our faith in Christ, to following Jesus in a way that stands out from the world. And then we shift to Matthew chapter 6, and we have to hold these two things in tension, right? 
Because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says something very interesting. Almost sounds like the opposite of what he just said in Matthew 5, 14. He says, beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus gives us this this command, right? He says, look, be salt, be light. Let people see what you're doing so that they can glorify God in heaven. But be careful, that can be a trap internally. It can be a trap because you may end up liking it when people are like, whoa, look at, look at you. You're doing great stuff. You, man, you're, that's incredible. Way to go to help people. That's awesome, right? He says, beware of doing your good deeds to be seen by others for the praise of man. You see, God cares about our motives deep in our heart. Our motives matter to God. You can do right things, good things for the wrong reasons. You can. We can be engaged in really good stuff. But we want to make sure our hearts are pure in why we're doing it. Not to be seen by others, not to get the praise of man, but to bring glory to God. So Matthew chapter 6 is all about the hidden life of the Christian. See, there's a life that you're called to live in your faith that no one else sees. There's a relationship in your heart that you're called to have with Jesus and with your heavenly Father that is between you and him that no one else sees or knows about. It's a, it's a cultivation of your hidden life in God, of your secret life in God. And today, we're going to talk about prayer. One of the things that Jesus hits on in the Sermon on the Mount, especially in chapter 6, is the Lord's Prayer. Again, one of the most famous prayers in the history of the world, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And maybe you've heard it before. It goes like this. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So start off with worship. Start off by saying, God, you're amazing. Jesus, you're powerful. You're good. You're glorious. Start off with praising God. And then go to this, give, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So start off by praying for God's will. Start off by praying for what God wants to happen in the world. Start off by asking, Lord, what is your will? How can I pray that into existence? Then it goes on to us, right? Give us today our daily bread. Isn't it amazing? Think about this. If you woke up in the morning and said, Lord, give me today my daily bread. Do you know what that does to your mindset right then and there? Every time you eat a meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which is very routine for us in America to eat three meals a day. But getting up in the morning and acknowledging God by saying, Lord, provide for me my daily bread, automatically shifts your perspective of everything you get that day. Because it's not just automatic. It's not just because you earned it. It's not just because you have a good job. It's not just because your mom or dad went to the grocery store that week. It's because you have a heavenly father who provided it for you. Who provided it for you. It it, it puts into perspective in your mind, oh, everything I have is a gift from God. That's why he wants you to ask for it every day. So that you know where the ultimate source is. 
He goes on a little bit further. He says, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we've also forgiven others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this is a model of prayer. Jesus is not saying every time you pray, you have to say those exact words. He says, let that be a diving bore into a conversation with God. Start off with worship and adoration. Move into your needs, your daily bread. Move into confession and repentance and forgiveness. It's a model for prayer, but what I want to talk about today is the fact that this prayer is recorded twice. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 6 right here, but it's also recorded in Luke 11. And right before this prayer, Jesus gives a little teaching on prayer. We're going to get into that in a second. He gives a teaching before the Lord's Prayer. Then in Luke, he gives two parables after the Lord's Prayer to show us what prayer is, how it works, and how we should approach it. And so instead of just diving into the Lord's Prayer, we're actually going to look at Jesus' teaching before and after the Lord's Prayer to give us context for what this prayer is and what it means for us. We ready? All right, let's dive into God's word. Here's what it says, Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. It says, when you pray, I love that. He's assuming that you're praying. He's assuming that you've all been up since 4 a.m. this morning, you've had a great prayer walk already, and you're just living in the spirit. It's okay, you can laugh. I know you all. I know you It's all right. I wasn't up either. He says, when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Again, it's this motive of the heart. And what he's referencing here is the Pharisees actually to show their piety, to show their holiness on the way to synagogue, on the way to prayer. It was almost as if they wanted everyone to know, we can't even wait till we get there. We're going to start praying here on the side of the road with big fancy holy words so that everyone knows We are godly people. We are men of God. We are the law keepers. We are the Pharisees. So they'd pray on the street on the way that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, Today's title, if you're taking notes, here's what I'm going to title this, and this is where we're heading with this. Prayer is where persistence meets deliverance. What we're going to see today, through God's word, not just this, but also in Luke, is that prayer is where our persistence meets God's deliverance. So hang on to that. We're going to come back to that at the end. But I want to start with what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter Six, because he says something amazing. He says, when you pray, and we're just going to take note of that when, because it's, it's a call for all of us, when you pray, when you go to God. He says, go into your room. We're going to come back to that word room. What is he talking about? Is he saying, wait, I can't, I can't ever pray anywhere except my room? Is that, is that it? And I can't just pray in my room. I actually have to go and shut the door. Got to make sure I do this just right. No, he's not telling you that you can only pray in one spot. He's not saying that at all, right? Um, He says, I want you to go to your room, shut the door, and I want you to pray to your father. Now, where is the father? 
you want to find the Father, where does the Bible tell us the Father is, right? Who is in secret? Pray to your Father who is in secret. He's in the secret place. We're going to get to that in a minute too. So room and secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Will reward you. Who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, what Jesus is talking about here is this. He says, look, prayer, at the end of the day, it's simply meeting. It's meeting with the Father in the secret place and having an honest and intentional conversation with him about his will, about his kingdom, his plan, your needs, and everything else in your life. It's an intentional meeting with the Father who knows what you need, but it's your choice to go there and meet with him. And this, this word room in Greek, it's on, and it's, it's specifically referring to a room in the interior of an ancient house. It was the innermost room. It was a place where you stored things. It was a place where if you, if you had a guest over to your house, you're not going to take them to this room. It's also referred to as the closet, okay? If I invited you to my home, I would not say to you, hey, come on in, let me show you my closet. I'd keep you away from my closet, right? He says, look, I want you to go to what is the most private place in your house, this room, and I want to meet with you there. But he's not saying literally, physically go to that room. He's talking about the secret place, and I remember when my kids were younger, I could still talk them into it, or they can talk me into it. It goes either way these days. But uh, we would play sardines, right? It's like the opposite of hide-and-go-seek. So if I was it, I would go out, and it's way funner if you played at nighttime, like on the street. And uh, I'd go out and hide behind a bush or a tree or somewhere, and the, the kids would come out. My kids would come out and try and find me. And, uh, you know, they're always terrified because it's a 50-50 chance with dad whether he's going to, like, play by the rules or just throw the rules out the window and just scare the mess out of you, right? You don't know what's coming with dad. Mom is better. She plays by the rules. But, you know, it's, it's tempting, dads. Am I right? Like, sometimes it's just worth it. So you're, you're hiding, and you can hear your kids running around squealing, a little bit afraid of what's going to happen. I remember Sawyer when he was younger. If he found me, he'd be like, oh. Found, you know, I found him. That means I'm not the last one to find him. With sardines, when you find him, you hide with him. And the moment he would sit down next to me, what would he do? Start talking, right? I'm like, psh, psh, quiet, Sawyer, that's, that's the, not the point. you got to stay quiet, right? We're in the hiding place. We're in the secret place right now. He's like, okay, Dad, I'll just whisper. Who do you think is going to find us next? If, if they find us, what should we do? Should we say? And it's just like talking. And I loved it. But it's a picture, right, of what we're talking about here. You see, there's a paradox with prayer. Jesus said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. God said, my spirit will be with you at all times, the Holy Spirit of God. So God is with us. Ephesians 3 tells us that God lives inside of us. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 says this, according to the riches of his glory, he would grant you, he would give you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being, inside of you, in your spirit, in your soul, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's where God lives, in your heart. That's where his spirit is. It's in your soul, in your heart. 
And so when Sawyer would come to me and he would start to talk to me, there is this, there is this side of God where he says, I'm with you always. I live inside of you. But I'm calling you take, to take a journey to meet with me in the secret place. And what he's talking about is your heart. Not your closet with the door shut. Not your room with the door shut. Your heart. And friends, can we be real? The longest, hardest journey for all of us to take is into our own hearts. Amen, somebody. Half the time, we don't even know what's going on down there. We're so distracted up here on the level. We're, you know, addicted to devices and other things, and we just kind of numb out the noise of our heart. We're not paying attention to that. We don't want to know, and we are a little bit afraid that whatever's happening down there is not great. It's not great. And God, Jesus, is saying, hey, this is where I am. I know all about it, and I want to meet with you here. Now, it's important to understand that the heart, your soul, is where your life comes from. Proverbs 4.23 says it like this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Not just your thoughts. The course of your life, your actions, your words, your deeds, they don't just come from your mind. How many of you know, you, I mean, you have known the right things to do in life or the right decisions to make, and you've done completely the opposite. You don't have to raise your hands, but I'm just saying. We're all there. Our desires, our longing, our heart, that's what shapes our life. It's what shapes the decisions that we make, and God is like, I'm in here. You're now a temple of the Holy Spirit. I live inside of you by faith, and I want to transform your life. But I'm asking you to take a journey and meet with me here in the secret place. To go inside to your own heart. To sit quietly with me and examine what's happening and talk to me about it. Friends, God is in our hearts. We know that from Ephesians 3. Multiple verses throughout Paul's letters. Our hearts direct our lives. It's Proverbs 4.23. God wants to transform our lives so that he, he wants to transform our hearts so that our lives can be lived for his glory. That we can find freedom. So we understand that change begins from the inside out. Begins from the inside out. Now, one of the most unnerving things, if you, if you look at the New Testament, this had to be completely unnerving, is that um, oftentimes Jesus with the disciples or the Pharisees or just other people, he would respond to their thoughts. You notice that? Over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus would do this. So Matthew 12, 25, it says, knowing their thoughts, he said to them. How unnerving would that be? You're like hanging out with Jesus, just thinking to yourself in your mind. Who knows what you're thinking about? And then he just responds to your thoughts. Like, whoa, did I say that out loud? What's happening here, right? All throughout the New Testament, he's like, I can see you. I can see all the way into your heart and in your mind. Think about this. Luke 5, another example. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. But the scribes and the Pharisees began thinking to themselves. They weren't even having a conversation. They were just all thinking this to themselves. Who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Knowing what they were thinking... Jesus replied, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? 
It's completely unnerving. Friends, we're exposed before God. Completely. There is no posing or posturing with God. None. And we live in an age where there is a ton of posing going on. Humanity is like one huge, we're all in this boat together, we're just posing all the time. And I'm talking about like photos, right? Think about this. This was a little stat I came across uh, this past week. The growth of photography over the past 100 years. Wild, okay? Little graph to show you uh, the growth of photography. 1900, so we'll go back to the beginning of the graph. 1900, the Kodak Brownie was invented for $1. So now anybody could take pictures of their family. 122 years ago, it was revolutionary. By 1930, this tiny little blip, 1930, looks like zero. 200 million photos were taken and developed by 1930. So that little blip equals 200 million. Right? You go on. 30 years later, by 1960, there were 1 billion photos taken. By 1970, there were 9 billion. 1980, 22 billion. 1990, 57 billion. By 2000, it was growing about 30 billion per year. By 2000, there were 84 billion photos taken that year. I'm talking just, just that year alone. Then, after 2000, uh, humanity invented some things, right? The iPhone... <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and so, uh, you know, photography took off a little bit. So this right here, year 2000, 87 billion photos were taken that year. It was then the largest jump in human history, 386 billion photos, so 300 billion more photos, thanks to the iPhone and Facebook and all that. And now, this 2020, 1.43 trillion, count them, trillion photos were taken in the year 2020. The best estimates have decided. In other words, everybody is posing everywhere all the time with everything. Your dog, your cat, your food, your friends. My daughter and I, we were at a little breakfast date the other morning and there was like a little photo op wall in the restaurant and this group went up to take some photos and uh, ladies, you know how this goes and they started with selfies and I don't know, probably, I'll, I'll say conservatively there were 12 selfies taken of the group. Take the selfie, check it. Take it, check, oh, a little more angle, a little wider, okay, let's get it. All right, so checking it. They were not pleased with the selfie so they grabbed a waiter. They said, come, come here, sir, I need, I need some help, right? So this poor guy gets roped in I mean, I'm going to say probably five more minutes worth of photos, right? Hey, I need to go on the left side. This is the better side. Okay, can you go vertical? Let's go sideways. I don't know how many, probably 20, 30 more photos. And then after that, it goes to the filters, right? The filters, you got the contrast. You're going to sharpen it. You're going to make sure this thing looks great. And finally, after 50 photos have been taken, you've got something to present to the world. It's just how it all is. It's how, it's how our society functions now. And friends, I want us to think about this. In a world full of posing and posturing, it's both relieving and terrifying to know that there is no posing or posturing with God. In fact, it's impossible to pose or posture before God. Why? He already knows everything he knows it all. It's completely unnerving, right? The secret place in your life, God's like, I'm already here. I see it all. I see it all. I know you through and through. You are completely loved and completely known. 
And friends, it's so wild to me that Jesus decided to use the word closet to me on room or closet, right? He's like, I want you to go to the innermost place of you. The place where you keep all your secrets, the secrets that you don't tell your spouse or your kids or anyone, the truest part of you, right? I want you to go there because that's where I am and I see it all and I'm going to talk to you there. Now, in culture, in society, we like to th- say things like, man, we've all got a few skeletons in the closet, right? We've all got a few skeletons in the closet, some things that we don't want other people to know about, some things that if they knew, man, maybe they'd judge us, the things that we think in our head or our hearts, if God knew this, surely he'd be angry at me. And yet the invitation of prayer is actually, hey, I'm already here in the secret place. You know that room I'm asking you to go to, that closet? I'm already there. Well, Lord, that's really terrifying because I know what's in that room. And in that room um, are some pretty just, I don't know, ugly things about my life. We've all got some skeletons in the closet, right? It doesn't even have to be Halloween. It's just life. We've got some habits we want to get rid of. We've got some tendencies. We've got some, you know, just parts of us that we're not proud of that we keep hidden in the secret place. And, And you have this reality, and the Bible calls it the flesh or the old man. And when you come to Christ, yes, you're saved by grace, but there's still a part of you that is sinful and broken and fallen. And Jesus goes, when you pray, go to that innermost room of your heart where all those secrets are. And the Father, he says, the Father who sees in secret is waiting for you there. And so you have to learn how to go to take that journey to your own heart and say, Lord, okay, I'm going to go in this room of my own soul with uh, old man flesh over here, and uh, I'm just going to have an honest conversation with you because you know all this about me already. You know all the things in my life that I'm not proud of, that I keep secret. You know all the hidden areas of my heart, and God's like, that's where I want to have a conversation with you. You can't hide from me anyways. There's no getting away from some of these things, but I want to heal you and deliver you. And the only way that happens is if you meet me here. This is where I am. With your true self, with the real stuff of your life, with the real things that you face, with your fears, your anxieties, your addictions, your shortcomings, your bad habits. Bring it all to God. If you read the Psalms, David was not afraid to expose this stuff to God. The Psalms are so honest. He's like... Lord, I don't like them. I hate them. Smite them. Destroy them, right? He's like, Lord, I'm a mess today. My soul is downcast within me. David would pour his heart out to God. And the Lord's like, that's beautiful. That's prayer. That's a man after my own heart. Prayer is going to that place in your heart, even to the places you're not proud of, and realizing, man, even when the door is shut, when no one else sees, no one else is looking, God sees, he knows, and even in that place, he loves me fully. And he wants to say, look, I want to deal with some of these skeletons in the closet. I want to remove them from your life, but we've got to start by having an honest conversation here. It's amazing in Matthew 6 that Jesus says, go into your closet. Go into that place where I am, into your heart, And meet with me there. I see everything. And it's okay. I love you. You're fully known and fully loved.
So here's the question. Friends, you have to get honest with yourself before you can have an honest conversation with God. And the question is this, are you willing to take that journey into your own soul to see, man, what's going on down there? To meet with God there in that place, to sit in the quietness with God. And and look, this can happen anywhere. It can happen on your commute into work. It can happen in the morning when no one else is awake, at night before bed. It can happen anywhere you can go into your own soul and have a conversation with God. But then Jesus gives two short parables, and I'm going to close with these. And I can invite the keys to come on out now as we close. But after he teaches on the Lord's Prayer, he gives two parables in Luke 11. He says this. The first one is in context to friendship, and the second one is in context to fatherhood. He says, and he said to them, Jesus, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to give him. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. In the ancient Near East, um, the families would sleep on a pallet on the floor. There was typically only one room in the house. So for an intrusion at midnight to come to the door, the whole family's getting up. And man, if you got kids, that's not fun because then you got to put them back to bed. So the neighbor's like, hey, don't bother me. My children are with me here in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. If his friend makes enough racket, if he keeps knocking and bugging him, he'll get up, he'll get him those loaves of bread. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now this parable is not describing God as like a stingy, tired friend who doesn't want to get up and help you out. It's not the point of the parable. That's the context of the parable is friendship. The point of the parable is persistence. It says you will find the bread. You will find what you need if you keep asking, seeking, knocking. Friends, some of you don't have the deliverance you're looking for. You don't have the answer, the bread that you need in life because you gave up knocking. You gave up asking and seeking for it. And there's something, man, everything in this life is going to push against you when you set your heart to pray. Everything in your life is going to distract you and want to keep you out of that place when you set your heart to go meet with God. And God says this, the first thing you need to know about prayer is that it takes persistence. Stick with it. Keep praying. Keep asking, seeking, knocking. Keep bringing your needs to the Father. Keep coming. Keep praying. If you haven't prayed in years, start today. If you forget for a few days, start again. Persistence is the key to prayer. He then goes on. So the first parable is about persistently asking. Persistence is often what transforms our lives. But the second one is this. He gives a parable on fatherhood. He says, what father among you? Dad's in the room. This is for you. If your son asked for a fish, would instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's amazing. I was thinking about this word, Father. When you're going to the Father in prayer, and look, some of us did not have good examples for fathers. So this idea of God as a father can be hard for some of us, but I want you to see the first time that God talks about that God in the Bible is referred to as a father. The very first time is in the Exodus. He comes to Moses. He says, Moses, I need you to go to Pharaoh. I need you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I need you to tell Pharaoh that I am the father of this nation and that they are my children. I'm the father. Pharaoh, let go of my kids. Here's the amazing thing. The context of prayer is that you're praying to a father who can deliver you, who can bring deliverance. When Jesus says, go to your father, the the Jewish mind would go straight back to Exodus and be like, wait, I'm praying to, to Yahweh, to the delivering God, to the one who split the seed, to the one that brought us with an outstretched arm into the promised land. Friends, prayer is the meeting place. Prayer is where your persistence meets God's deliverance. It's where you showing up day after day and saying, Lord, help. Lord, I got some skeletons in here. God, set me free. Lord, bring peace in Ukraine. God, bring revival to my town. God, set my daughter free. Set my son free. God, heal my marriage. God, break this addiction. God, break in. Persistently going, going, going. And it's in that place where God goes, remember, I'm a father. And I know how to give you the Holy Spirit. I live inside of you. I know how to set you free. From the beginning, my name has been the one who delivers. The one who delivers. So what is prayer, friends? It's the meeting place of your persistence and God's deliverance. Prayer is honestly talking to God from those places of pain, from the places of shame in your own life and realizing he's already there. There's no posing or posturing with God. Bring your whole self. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. He wants to clean out some of the skeletons in all of our closets. And it's a process. It's covered by grace. And prayer is made available to us. Access to the Father is made available to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Every prayer we pray, every time we meet with God in our hearts, is because Jesus went to the cross. And every week we close with communion. Because communion is a reminder of the cross. Communion represents the the broken body of Jesus and the blood that he shed for us to set us free from our sins. So friends, I'm going to pray for us. And if you have a prayer request please put it in the prayer wall over there. We would love to join you in praying. We believe in the power of prayer. Friends, if today you want to take a step of faith and salvation, there's a card in front of you that has the option on there to do that. We'd love to give you a Bible and a gift and to help you on your journey, walking with Jesus by faith. But right now, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take communion together. So, Lord, thank you so much for your body that was broken for us. Thank you that we are 
now able to come into the presence of the Father because you went to the cross for us. Lord, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, may we remember what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.